What's up, people? Hello. So this uh, podcast is a little bit different. It's actually a recording from an event mm-hmm. from last year, December. It's a little bit old event. It's like a spin-off. It's a spin-off. <laughs> yeah, spin-off. Um, the event is called Transom. It was actually organized by the Nikkei and the Ministry of Transportation in Japan. And I was moderating a panel there about self-driving cars and... Autonomous. Autonomous automation. Um, stuff like that. I don't remember exactly what it was, um, the original title. But if you're interested in it, mm-hmm. listen to that and, uh, I mean... Let's check Una's speech deck. Speech <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. We would like to start the symposium Auto, Autonomous Driving Technology Starting Toward the Fully Automated Driving. And Mr. Christian Weiner from Softing Automotive Electronics, a Senior Product Manager. Mr. Shakti Mahpatra, Natural and Business Development Co-Head. From Ascent Robotics CEO, Mr. Masayuki Shizaki. And the moderator is Ms. Una Softech, Transam Innovation Consultant. It's taking so long, we're a little bit late today for the last panel uh, on automation. I'm very uh, happy to be here with speakers that come from different backgrounds, all work with automation and are improving the vehicles of uh, the present and the future. And uh, as mentioned, we have Chris Weiner from Softing Automotive, the company with a 40-year-old tradition that started in Germany. And uh, he's uh, working mainly on uh, testing and uh, diagnostics of vehicles. Uh, he's famous for talking to cars, and I heard he's also a really good listener. And uh, we have Shakti Mahapatra from Netrodyne, a U.S.-India-based company that's doing a, um, comprehensive ADAS systems, um, integrating all uh, technologies, helping the drivers stay alert and uh, bring the best performance, especially for fleet. And we also have Ishizaki-san from Ascent Robotics, who is a very future-oriented uh, person uh, leading a startup in AI and ADAS, promising to bring level four cars by the Tokyo Olympics. And I will actually give the panelists an opportunity to introduce themselves and their company, and maybe we can start with Chris. Yes, so, hello everyone. Um, I'm from Softing Automotive, and thanks for the introduction, Una. Um, Yes, we are doing, we listen and speak to cars, that's totally right. My uh, main uh, part is to develop engineering tester. So I speak to cars in a very deep level. So new architectures, new NEE architectures are very necessary for my tool that I provide for OEMs worldwide. And uh, yes, Softing Automotive is also providing solutions um, for hardware and uh, after-sales testers worldwide. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Shakti. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, good evening. I'm Shakti. I 
head of business development for Netrodyne along with my colleague. I think he's uh, present here, Prashant. And uh, Netrodyne is into ADAS and uh, driver safety solutions. So we are basically experts in computer vision and uh, deep learning. Uh, and we use uh, these technologies uh, in our flagship product, which we call DriverEye. Now DriverEye goes into your vehicle, and it is uh, looking at the road and also the driver inside. It is analyzing every millisecond of your driving, and it is uh, looking at your performance uh, as a driver, identifying those unique situations uh, which could be uh, you know, um, dangerous or safe or unsafe, and also looking in the driver and making, keeping him alert all the while he's driving. Uh, and, and this is uh, picked up uh, very fast in the US and in, in India. So uh, this is how the company has been growing, and it's skyrocketing right now. And I'm pretty glad uh, to join you today. Yeah. Thank you, Shakti. Shizaki-san? Hi, yes. Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, Masayuki Shizaki from Ascent Robotics, based in Ebisu, Japan, or Tokyo. Um, our, our company is two years old, and we have about 70 people, engineers from 22 or three countries. And then uh, we're working on uh, making the car become smart or smarter than the human being. And then I know it's a big challenge, but with that technology, we believe we can bring the uh, autonomous world to Japan and the world very soon. And I'd like to explain how we do, maybe later, yes. Okay, thank you very much, Izaki-san. So um, one of the big concerns of autonomous driving and AI is, of course, safety, vehicle safety. And I think we should start maybe the panel discussion with in the presence, not in the future. So. Chris, this is a question for you. You work with cars, you talk to them. What do they tell you about the current safety? Yes, safety and security, so uh, both are connected. So safety is a mandatory thing you have to meet when you bring, want to bring a car on the street. And um, security might be an impact to this safety. So functional safety might be endangered by vehicle security. And this is what I see also in today's EE architecture development areas. Um, they heavily think about remote updates, that's true. So they have to connect the car to the out, outside world, so any cloud or any uh, IT system. And by doing this, you open another gate um, to a yeah, technology that was former unknown for automotive uh, industry. So you connect IT and automotive mainly. And um, yeah, I would say 98% uh, of the cars are still uh, not secure because they still have a CAN bus which can be easily modified so it's not encrypted. Uh, ECUs will just react on your request and um, so I see a uh, heavy impact if you want to connect the car in a bigger amount of data and, and control it also from externally so it depends on the solution of also for autonomous driving. Um, there could be the danger that People, for example, spam the bus, uh, so the car will not be able to communicate anymore, or uh, that you reset ECUs, for example. And uh, this can be done by easily hacks for, as I said, a large amount of cars in today's world. So even if the autonomous car is very safe for itself and secure, you always have a mixed fleet, a mixed situation on the street. And by this, uh, the challenge is quite huge, so yeah, I see now the platform for the next five years are developed. I can see there are many security features, but this still takes some time. 
This is what I see for security. I guess we're going to have to wait still to, for connected cars and smart cities that will send all the data to the cloud and be able to share? Or what's, what's the solution for, for this on a very high level? So I think you have to make a smooth ramp up. So I can imagine areas where only secure cars are allowed to drive and they can, be, can drive fully autonomous. But you cannot change infrastructure fully uh, at once. So you have to give it some time. But innovative areas could be supported by How this. much time would you give it? I say still 15 years until a large amount of cars will drive so, on the street. Chris, 15 years, Ishizaki-san, 2020 Olympics. How can you bring uh, level four, level five, even testing cars, not on the streets, actionable, but how can you make them drivable in Tokyo for the purpose of the Olympics? Yes, so um, um, today's autonomous driving technology is good enough to drive if the condition is all managed. For example, if there's um, maybe a street dedicated to autonomous driving car only, say in uh, Narita Airport, north wing to south wing, you know, we already have a cars that goes back and forth without no human being behind the steering wheel. And then uh, we can set up an infrastructure to support that as well. The challenge is that uh, to make the cars drive along with the human being, with pedestrians, or the bikers, or the not-so-smart cars, or not-connected cars. And then that's where our focus is. We're trying to make the car to be able to drive by itself on edge, do certainly communicate with you know, rest of the cars or use a 3D map and in the cloud to exchange information. But you know, if you are to and then depend on that type of an infrastructure, it takes a little bit long for the cars to be able to drive on a regular street, especially in a remote area. Um, but today, Japan is facing the challenge of, a, you know, in a countryside, there are many people who don't have an access to the stations or to the hospital, even shopping centers. And those are the ones that are truly in need of uh, autonomous driving cars. That's where we're trying to, to uh, you know, provide our solutions and then address. Yes, we make the car by you know, driving by 2020. I'm not saying that it's all done. We have our test car being able to demonstrate our capability by 2020, yes. It's a, it's a good hype in Japan in any case. It's a good motivator, I guess, for the industry. But I want to ask you also, especially because you mentioned the countryside and also the urban uh, areas in Japan, streets are very narrow, there's a lot of congestion. How do you overcome these type of issues, particularly with your technology that you're using? Uh, what's, what's the kind of the, the company vision for, for this particular challenge? Yes, so, so we are an AI company, not necessarily an autonomous driving car company. Um, I think it's better to, to be understood as a company that is specializes in deep learning and in the machine learning. And then we are training the cars to be able to drive like human being using the, uh, the deep learning. And then that learning, the machine learning, is actually done in the simulator. So we train the cars in the simulator. Simulator itself is the AI. And then creating an environment or the test data for the cars to try and error and then learn from that experiences. That's sort of a unique approach. And then we believe taking this approach, we can expedite the learning and then making the car become smart as human being sooner than the, taking the more heuristic approach, you know, rule-based car approach. Yes. I know it's a little confusing, but I yeah. like to, you're, to, yes. You're yeah. tapping into different areas yeah. to bring the results efficiently. Great. On the other hand, Shakti, you just put your technology, ADAS, right on the streets. 
to Bangalore in India in, into harsh conditions. How do you do that? Um, how do you overcome? How does your ADAS system work and you know, comprehend what's happening around there? And yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there are different approaches here that different companies take, uh, and everyone's but, uh, pretty much trying to achieve uh, the same goal. And uh, on the other hand, we have companies like Softing who want to make sure we are not very ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, to bring this into perspective, yes, so uh, we are c commercial in the U.S. and in India, and why I emphasize on commercial is commercial allows our devices to be deployed across thousands of vehicles. Um, so you know that um, uh, today in, in the world of AI, it's all about training, labeling, it's all about the data, and, uh, you know, gathering that kind of data could be very expensive. Uh, while we are in a sweet spot where our customers are gathering that data for us. Um, because uh, since we're commercial, our devices are deployed in the road. Um, on one extreme is the U.S. Uh, you know, you'd see um, driving conditions, traffic conditions, pretty, uh, you know, the developed world, and uh, there's a lot of discipline and organization there, where on the other hand, it's India, where anything can happen at any time on the road. So since we are able to crack uh, the two extremes of the spectrum, I think uh, we can address pretty much anything in between. Uh, coming to ADAS, uh, yes, I think uh, there are multiple levels of it. Uh, the level where we are right now is uh, considering a country uh, like India. We are uh, pretty much, uh, though um, in one of the L1 or L0 stages, uh, but it's a big leap uh, for the country. And, and I've seen in our experience in, in India, if something might be late to start, but once it starts, it, it flies off. And that's that's mostly the, most of the case with the develop, uh, developing world, you'd say. Yeah, with with in different interest, industries, not only the in automotive. The, yeah, yeah. Not, not only the automotive. So mm -hmm. and uh, so we, since these devices are deployed, we drive millions of miles every month. Uh, what some other companies who are leaders in the autom autonomous space take um, months, uh, we gather them, uh, gather that kind of data within days. So that allows us to refine our algorithms and our make uh, the ADAS systems much more smart and. Uh, um, you know, they refine every, um, every day. We are, we are just uh, exponentially smoothing them out. Yeah. And Shakti, your company, Netrodyne, is very specific. It's very unique in, the, in terms of, um, of obtaining the data as well. Yeah. You're actually crowdsourcing yeah. Yeah. the data. Absolutely. So that's the uh, other application in the pitch run. Uh, like I mentioned, we were talking about uh, 3D HD maps. Uh, while Ascent would uh, like to differ, I would like to say that these are different approaches we take. And uh, we believe uh, that 3D HD maps is, is uh, kind of accelerating the path to autonomous driving. Now we have the advantage of the devices deployed across our customer vehicles, thousands of vehicles uh, running on the road. Uh, you can imagine we are detecting things like lanes, the road boundaries, uh, parking spots, construction zones. Uh, we have a feature where we do route risk maps. So since I am uh, monitoring the unsafe driving behavior, I can tell you which highway has the most tailgating, which is the junction where people heartbreak the most. This uh, stop sign could be where you should be careful because I have driving patterns across uh, different uh, devices. This could be very helpful for governments in uh, smart city operations, uh, let's say, if you want to consider, or for you know, OEMs like Hyundai signed a partnership with us. Uh, they want uh, the 3D HD maps into their autonomous vehicles. So this crowdsourced data allows us to get the data, f not cheap, but rather free, I would say. And uh, then they build these maps, um, you know, overnight. Uh, you know, we have a team of laborers who, who keep uh, doing this all the time. Yeah.
In Shizaki-san, in your case, it's quite different. So your data comes from the, I guess, from VR, from the simulator, also from the test rides. To which extent do you crowdsource, crowdsource it, if, if at all? Yes, uh, so um, I don't want to leave any you know, um, misunderstanding here that uh, we do leverage and can use uh, 3D map, and then also the security needs to be managed. Everything is, uh, it's not like us alone can make the car drive. Um, the area that we are focusing the most is the edge cases. So, um, you know, there's always, a, you know, cases that have been cars never experienced or a situation that, are, you know, the, the, all the testing couldn't cover. And then um, the human being, when you learn how to drive, um, say, go to a, a driving school, and then, um, and then you got the license, you go out and then driving, you do not have all the 3D map, and then you do not have all the experiences yet, you know how to handle the car. You learn the common sense of how to drive. I and mean, that's what we're training our cars to, to be able to. So um, by having that type of new capabilities allows the, the cars to handle in the cases where they experience something that they haven't been through yet. And then so even the simple, like a left turn, right turn, um, you know, it is, if there's a pedestrian on the corner, if there's a stop sign there, or the weather is rainy or sunny, every small little detail makes the, the driving situation different. But a human being can adopt and then learn, knows how to handle those situations, and then that's what the machine learning technology and technique is actually applied, and then making our cars to be able to understand the world and then understand what is the right approach in those particular cases. And then certainly, yes, if we want to bring the, uh, the autonomous world to the, world, to, to the society sooner, um, we're going to have to do it, you know, take on all the different approaches. And then I think we, our technology will add some value to that, you know, the whole picture, yes. So it's uh, many different approaches, a lot of data. And uh, Chris, your job is making OEM, OEM engineers' lives easier and then guys like Shakti and Shizaki Sankov with all this big data, with AI. How does that influence your work? Uh, how will that influence in the future with ADS systems and AI? What, what will change for you? Uh, this will heavily change for me. Uh, that's clear because um, I think the architecture of the car has to change and also has to be standardized. What you mentioned, the, the common approach is needed. Um, currently, each OEM is developing his own EE architecture. And by producing a lot of data, by uh, working a lot of new technologies, you have to also update somehow your system. And currently, a vehicle is used or is made for seven years, let's say, then it's outdated. And if you now bring uh, these intelligent cars on the road, uh, you have to be sure that in the next year you get a new machine inside because your old uh, performance com you need high performance computer in the car. And you don't need one, you need at least three because you need to make a decision two on one, otherwise it's not safe. So that's a standard in industry. So you need to replace at least uh, three high performance computers which are also diagnostic masters and data managers um, with every year, let's say two years. So this will heavily change also the testing at the OEM side because yes, it's standardized, but um, with every exchange you have to again do the full testing. This can be automated partly, but there's still a lot of manual work to do. And so 
bringing intelligent solutions for this automation and uh, for diagnostics and also for this diagnostic mass and high performance computing in the vehicle uh, will be the next challenge for us. Next challenge is the threads. We've heard a lot about them during this summit as well. Um, maybe one of the things that you guys can help with giving insights from different markets. Um, all of you work worldwide. All of you are providing solutions for global players, key players in the market. But specifically, for example, Chris in EU, Shakti for um, India and US, and Ishizaki-san in Japan. What is the key focus of OEMs you work with? What are they most focused on at this moment? I don't know which one of you would like to start with this. We'd like to see if there's a difference in different target areas or not. No, absolutely. I think uh, when it comes to um, OEMs in the U.S., so you can understand that autonomous driving in the U.S., you know, all, all OEMs are interested and, and everyone's trying it out, but uh, regulations are stopping them. Uh, so, um, like you'd see that, uh, you know, Waymo is trying to do it because, uh, you know, the state of Arizona allows you to do it, but uh, not the other states, any, any of the other states, which is why a lot of OEMs also have to move to simulation technologies, uh, where they use simulators to, uh, get, um, to deploy an autonomous car. Uh, so what's important here is finding, uh, you know, proxy ways of getting the data. And that's where, you know, we uh, thought we were in a sweet spot working with the OEMs, since our devices are commercially deployed across vehicles and pretty much within the regulations but also uh, capturing the data and transmitting in real time, real time to the cloud. So that allows us uh, to partner with OEMs. So that, that's, that, I would say, is OEMs today in the U.S. are trying to fight uh, regulations. Uh, while, um, and also the other thing is liability, you know, as if tomorrow something goes wrong. So we have heard uh, cases for GM and Uber. Uh, there was one accident and there was a lot of hue and cry around it. So what happens? Who takes uh, the ownership? Is it the driver who's, who owns the car? Is it the OEM who's responsible in those cases? So these are some of the things the OEMs are trying to fight. In India, it's, it's uh, Greenfield. It's opening up right now. OEMs are pretty much interested in experimenting all kinds of technologies that are out there. Could be edge computing, uh, like you say. And, uh, but they all want to start with ADAS. In fact, the Indian government is planning to mandate ADAS by 2022. They made an announcement a few months back. So, and uh, like I said, and once it picks up, it always flies off in India. How about EU? EU is, uh, to be honest, currently a lot of about Dieselgate, I would say. <laughs> so uh, they are still stuck in this uh, mess, I would say. So uh, WLTP and RDE testing is currently the full focus. Uh, while doing still innovation, so that's the challenge, I would say. So you have to develop, for example, a new S-Class beside your, have, uh, your, your test benches fully loaded with old vehicles, I would say. Uh, so that's the current challenge in the EU because of legislation, simply. Um, and then in Japan, because there's an Olympic a um, couple of years from now, almost a year and a few months now, so uh, that's a big milestone for Japan and in the city of Tokyo and many many companies in Japan, and then people's expectation is high too. Um, so there's uh, already many companies set the milestone there to demonstrate their advanced driving capabilities, or in some cases level four capabilities. And that's where we are working toward as well. And then um, um, I, I think uh, we'll start to, to show those cases. And then, and then in the beginning, um, speaking of a Japanese manufacturer or the auto companies, um, approach. Some are going really full-blown level four or mobility services side as well. 
but there are quite a few in Japan amongst the Japanese auto company still try to keep the drivers behind or center of the, the, you know, the car and then the, making the driving as a human being's responsibility. And so our technology, for example, may not be deployed as on a level four and in the beginning earlier phase, maybe used as a super ADAS. So um, helping the human beings in true emergencies, machine, the AI-driven capabilities to take over to help the car, I mean, help the human beings. For example, you're driving and you've been blinded. You lose the control of the car. But then a car has a, all the monitors computing and the capabilities to navigate by itself. Then, then that car can be safely take over from a human beings and then pull over. Solutions like, such as that is probably a first one or easier ones to to introduce the autonomous driving capabilities to the market. So we have a Japanese crowd here with high expectations and uh, great anticipation for 2020 Olympics. I'm wondering, do we have any questions of the audience for our experts? Does anybody want to ask a question? In Japanese, is also okay? Okay, we can get back to that in a few minutes. But um, just before we wrap up, I would like to ask you, what's the biggest obstacle for autonomous uh, vehicles in the future? Is it the, the cost? Is it the technical side? Is it, in your opinion, the, um, the ethical um, challenge for people to accept the, the AI as their daily life? Uh, what are, what are, what's the obstacle in your um, line of work and in your perception that would need mo more, most energy for tackling? I'll maybe, I'll maybe start with, of course, okay. locally. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, not the challenge, but uh, I'd like to uh, speak from opportunity here. You remember a few years ago, only maybe a few years ago, when we are still using the regular phone at home and then, then start using those uh, feature phone, you know, cell phone. Then, then now everybody's on a smartphone. And then um, people back then, about maybe 10 years ago, never believed that we will be all shifting and, then, and becoming so mobile and then accessing the data individually and then utilize the, the mobile phones for everything. Uh, I think uh, consumers, human beings are so adaptive to something convenient. So if we could make the autonomous driving safe and then convenient and then show one good example and it doesn't have to be this country, it can be any country, any part of the world. If that starts and, and it shows, then, then I'm pretty sure the rest of the world will follow and then that transformation will happen very, very fast. I believe, uh, you know, cost to me doesn't look like a constraint because like every other technology, as the scales up and the demand comes, the costs will go down, everyone want to be more efficient. Uh, but it uh, comes with, like I said, uh, you know, if we have regulations around ownership and liability. Now with autonomous cars coexisting uh, with uh, drivers driving cars, you know, uh, then you want to know what happens when there is an accident or there is a situation which was probably even a near miss, who's responsible. Uh, the other thing I think technically, uh, you know, coming to autonomous car would be, uh, you know, like uh, Davey mentioned some time back, is the edge cases, like the very rare cases, things like when you're entering a tunnel and the glare of the sun, 
is not allowing you to see are certain cases of very heavy snow, which could be very rare in certain parts of the world. So those are really those cases that are not tested for. You don't have enough data around them. So how do you train uh, your vehicles for those cases? I think those, are, those will be the, some, uh, some preliminary obstacles. And end of the day, it's perception. You know, If people start accepting them, then these technologies get tested. They'll have some failure rates in the beginning. Slowly, they become a part of your mainstream life. So for my thinking, it would be, I think there will be a technical solution. I'm, I trust in technology, so um, we will have a solution there. Uh, what takes more time, I think, is a mixture between uh, infrastructure and legislation. So this is also in history shown that this takes the most of time to change this one. So for example, in Germany, we have still a lot of uh, not uh, connected areas, for example. Uh, even there is now a movement in the direction of uh, connection and uh, digitalization. It takes a lot of time. So um, depending on the, on the country and on the politics and on the interests uh, of the current situation, uh, this takes more or less time depending on the country. And this can't be just moved by the customers because, yeah, they can elect every four years. That's maybe the, the possibility but then you have to have another four years until it's maybe changed. So uh, that's still the most time-consuming legislation and infrastructure. Okay. Uh, do we have any question from the audience at this point? Uh, can we get the microphone? Yes, you'll, you'll get the microphone in a second. Uh, yes, but uh, for the translators, uh, we would, yes. Well, thank you for the presentation. Um, so the whole presentation was rather focused on the technical part as well as the regulation and so on. I have a question related to, well, all of these, but um, so I'm based in Japan, and as you, well, as Isisaki-san mentioned, in Japan there is this dichotomy between urban and rural areas, and, well, the government has high expectations for autonomous vehicles to support, well, transport networks in rural areas as well. We will see uh, what, what's going on. Um, particularly, the, there has been some testing on satellites. Like a few months ago, there was a testing in Guma Prefecture for these kind of rural satellites. And my question is that we assume, or most people assume, that these self-driving vehicles, satellites, uh, cars, whatever they are, they will be shared and they will be rather public or corporate uh, owner, so people will not be able to, oh, it will be really difficult for a normal person to own a um, self-driving car, rather because regulation, rather because market entries or any other barrier. My question is that this may make sense in a city. It makes sense maybe in a city like American cities, European cities, somehow Japanese cities, but for people who live in those rural or less uh, developed areas, ownership is a requirement. Because first, corp, uh, private companies operating these services or public authorities uh, in those areas may not have enough resources to provide these uh, self-driving vehicles. Because we are talking about uh, a technology that might be even more expensive than just running a normal bus. We don't know yet. And second, uh, in urban areas, we have other access to other 
for example, mass transit, public transport, and so on. So we can use these vehicles as a support, but in rural areas, we don't have. So in your opinion, in your experience, what do you think will be in your countries or in Japan, in any country or in general, uh, the possible mix, what kind of mix of self-driving vehicles owned by private, non-self-driving vehicles owned by people and self-driving vehicles uh, as a service we will see in, in these areas. Thank you very much. Thank you for the question. I guess we'll, we'll start with Japan. The ownership of self-driving cars, self-driving vehicles in Japan, how do you see that? Um, so we'd like to think that a future of um, autonomous driving and then the cars are something that have you know, become so personalized and then, then I get to have my own and then learn about me and then becomes my best friend, for example. And then that's like a maybe futuristic view, but I think that type of world may come. But in the beginning, I'm pretty sure autonomous driving vehicles were shared and then operated by some mobility service providers. Um, and then in, that makes sense to, to approach on a mass transit or the big bus or the truck because of that, they are more expensive and it has more space to put the computers and then the sensors on. And then, um, you know, you, it can be expensive because it has a higher utilization. So, you know, ROI is validated or, you know, I guess uh, uh, makes sense. Um, but I think um, um, the cars, the regular cars will stay for a long, long time because uh, there are many reasons for the regular cars to be operated by human beings for many, many reasons, for the pleasure or for cases that it just makes, you know, more convenient to, to just drive by yourself than having a car being driven by, you know, the machine. Uh, for example, we still wear a watch. Although we have a, like I said, everybody carries a smartphone. You know the time. You can look up the time on the smartphone. It's, it's pretty amazing that all, all four of us are wearing yeah. watches right now. <laughs> so so uh, I think those are, and then they will coexist. And then that's why I think uh, the world needs the technology of us and robotics. I'm, I guess I'm doing the advertising it's, it's, sales it's pitch. A pitch. <laughs> it's a pitch, but it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> because um, because uh, yeah. you know, our solution will help, you know, coexistence of, uh, you know, okay car autonomously or regular cars, yes. So Netrodine pitch very quickly. How do you see the ownership? Well, I think uh, initially the autonomous cars, uh, you, you'd get to see them in restricted environments, you know, probably in, within a factory floor or within a defense area. And once these prototypes have been tested, like uh, mentioned, uh, you'll see them in mass transit. And that's where, because efficiency is driven in mass transit. And I believe it would slowly penetrate uh, to whoever I can draw an analogy uh, with the first computer was probably the size of this hall, and it was almost difficult, almost impossible to own one. Today, the computer is right in your hands, the smartphone. I think uh, this uh, technology or autonomous car will scale uh, the same way. Ownership. So I think price separation for service was always something that was done many years before, and I think this service should stay optional. So. If you can spend the money, if you can own such a car, if you can get the service, um, you get it. But there will be other solutions. So uh, you can still use your hands for calculating or you take a computer. This holds until today, and I think this holds also tomorrow. Yeah, we're, uh, we're running out of time, so I would like to wrap up the session with maybe the final conclusion. I think the um, automotive future, the autonomous future is quite bright. Um, because we have very disruptive, forward-thinking startups that are taking the leap forward in providing safety and comfort at the same time. 
But on the other hand, we also have uh, companies that are doing testing and diagnostics and making sure that those companies don't go too fast, <laughs> one kilometer at a time. Yeah. And uh, thank you, panelists, for your time. Thank you, audience, for listening. Thank you for the question as well. And uh, enjoy the rest of the evening. Thanks. So stay tuned. Listen to your motto. And follow us on Instagram, moto.japan. And check our website, motojapan.me. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye.